Uh, today we're looking at Jesus calling his first uh, batch of disciples to himself. And there's so much that we're going to look at this morning that's uh, massively encouraging for us, uh, massively challenging for us. And whether we are believers or we're still on a journey towards faith, I think the Lord is going to speak to us very clearly through his word. That's my hope and my prayer this morning. Let me read uh, Mark chapter 1 from verse 16 uh, for us, and then we'll dig in it uh, together. As he passed alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, Simon's brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, Jesus told them, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat putting their nets in order. Immediately, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Now, we saw last week that Jesus has arrived on the scene. He has been baptized, gone into the wilderness for a time of temptation, and he's come back and announced the coming of his, his kingdom, and he's calling people to uh, repent and believe in him. And now uh, the first or the next move of his is to call uh, followers to himself. And just by way of context uh, here, uh, that may, you may know this, or may not be immediately apparent from this text, what used to happen then is that uh, disciples would follow specific rabbis. Uh, they would uh, approach the rabbi and ask if they could follow that rabbi and become a disciple of that rabbi. They would sit at that rabbi's feet and learn in the, the sort of different schools of these rabbis. But the initiative to follow was on the disciple. The disciple would seek out a rabbi and ask if they could follow. And along comes Jesus here and he flips everything on its head. He goes out and he calls to himself those who he wants uh, to follow him. And uh, we're going to dive into uh, some of the, the mystery and the wonder of who Jesus calls uh, to himself uh, today. And there are uh, three things. There's probably a lot more things, but there's three things I want to focus on that we can notice uh, in this passage this morning and that will encourage us. The first is that I've called an unlikely choice. An unlikely choice. I wonder if you try and enter your heart and your mind and your, your imagination into the story. Here is Jesus. He's just announced the coming of a kingdom, his kingdom. The kingdom of God is at hand. Uh, he is putting himself as that king leading this kingdom. And if you were going to build um, Team Jesus, as it were, if you were going to gather a whole bunch of disciples and helpers uh, to help you build this kingdom, launch this, uh, this initiative of yours. I wonder who you would choose. Um, I know that um, all of our temptation would be to choose people on very different criteria to which Jesus chooses. Um, one of the, one of the I, I'm not a big fan of social media. I'm progressively leaving platform by platform. But one that I still have some affection for is Instagram. I like pictures. I like to see pictures of little videos of people and their kids and their pets. Okay, not so much the pets, but the other stuff 
I love. But there's one thing on Instagram that I'm not 100% sure about. It doesn't sit so lacquer with me as these influencers on Instagram. Um, I, I mean, you may not be in, on Instagram, and you may be an influencer, so I'm going to go tread carefully here. But there's these people on Instagram who have lots of followers uh, for various reasons. They may, may just be pretty or, or beautiful or buff or whatever it is, uh, or have done something exceptional. But either way, they've got lots of followers for various reasons. And then these brands will send them things just randomly. It never happens to me. But anyway, these guys will get sent like tackies and sunglasses and coffee and makeup and whatever else. And then there's always these videos of like, oh, look what came in the, in the post. Oh, I'm so blessed, hashtag, whatever else. And, and it's like, oh, this is the best ever whatever. You know, like, ha. And all the followers obviously now are like amazed by whoever sent all this stuff. And they're using their star power to be influencers. Now, I don't see that ever happening in my life, in my lifetime, uh, sadly. Uh, but it's an interesting cultural phenomenon because some of these influencers actually haven't done much to warrant the influence that they have. And maybe these days, if you were thinking it through, if you wanted to build a group of people who you wanted to influence a culture or a generation or your movement, you may seek out these influencers because they've got platform, they've got followers, and Jesus goes in the exact opposite direction. Uh, it's amazing how these um, disciples are described uh, by Luke in the book of Acts as being uneducated, unschooled fishermen. Uneducated, unschooled. Like Jesus goes looking for those who are a bit lower down the totem pole. He's not seeking out the Instagram influencers. It's, it's clear to us in, in this uh, account and in the subsequent calling of even other uh, disciples who become apostles that Jesus isn't concerned or impressed by the same things we're impressed by or concerned about. Think of some of the things that our culture value and are deeply concerned about. The worldly values, if you want. We place a massive, massive importance on your education or on your intelligence. Um, you know, when I used to spend more time on Facebook, I was overwhelmed by how many times um, I was there would be a feed, a story, whatever those things are, popping up, asking me to test my IQ uh, and see if I fall into this certain percentage of the population, almost as if like, you want to make sure you get into this percentage because if you have a lower IQ, well, there's not much that we can do for you. Like you, you're an oxygen thief. You're just hey, making up, taking up space, making up the numbers. We really celebrate the geniuses amongst us. The education, we place a lot of weight on it. You think of people who who get invited to do TED Talks. Um, they're intelligent, eloquent people. We celebrate eloquence and education. Um, that's a, a, a cultural value. We place a lot of weight on what school did you go to? Some of you might be parents. You're putting a lot of pressure on yourself. What, what school are you going to send your kid to? Because they need the right education. Otherwise, they're not going to get far in life and they're not going to make a splash. How could God possibly use them without an excellent education? Yet Jesus seems to look past those things. Our world looks at, at looks and at beauty and at health and fitness. And we celebrate all these trimmed and photoshopped and buff. And you know, fitness is like the new thing. Um, there's a massive uh, beauty industry around the world um, that's trying to help people look younger for longer. 
through creams and surgeries and whatever else. It's a multi-billion dollar industry to keep people looking young and help them get fit. You know, you need to become a vegan and do all these things. It's like this new, like, um, you're a disciple of those things. And we celebrate those things. And, and those people have lots of influence and, and voice in our culture. Culture places a lot of importance and weight on who you're connected to. Some people would say that you're never going to make a splash in the world unless you have the right connections, unless you know the right people. It's not what you know, it's who you know. You're never going to get ahead. You're never going to make a name for yourself. You're never going to influence anything unless you know the right, the right people. If you're not having the right social standing, you're going to get passed, passed over. If you don't have uh, wealth, you're going to get overlooked. You can't really make a massive influence. And it seems like Jesus just ignores all of those things. And all the things that our culture and our world hold in high esteem, he looks past those things. He looks over those things. And if you look in Scripture all the way through history, it's, it's as if uh, Jesus just continues what God has always had in his mind and his heart, that he looks at different criteria, both for people that he calls to himself and the people he chooses to use and the people that he works through. Um, I made a brief list here to touch on some of these people just to give us a, an indication of, of the way that God is not limited by the things that we think would be naturally limiting things. Abraham, who God makes a covenant with, the most, probably maybe the most significant covenant in the Old Testament with Abraham. Abraham was a liar and a coward. And yet God chooses to bless him and use him and work through him. Moses he raises up Moses as the, as the deliverer of his people to get them out of Egypt, primarily as a spokesman. He was, he was sent to go and speak to Pharaoh. But what did Moses say? He says he's slow of speech and tongue. Moses couldn't string words together. He wasn't eloquent, and yet God puts him in a position of speaking to the most powerful man in the world at the time. David was the king of Israel. Maybe probably the second most successful um, storied king, Solomon, David. David was an adulterer and a murderer amongst other things. That God still loves him and works through him. Gideon um, is a coward. God needs a soldier to lead his people and fight for the nation. He finds Gideon, there he is hiding. He was a coward, yet God is able to use him. You look at the disciples, all of these disciples that we're calling about, that we're talking about, they have so many drawbacks and shortcomings uh, that, you know, we'd spend a whole morning talking about that. They were proud, they were ignorant, they were, again, they had a lot that was working against God being able to use them or, you know, should have chosen them. Paul, maybe the most fruitful, formative missionary in the history of the world, was both a murderer and a persecutor. And yet God calls him and changes his life and uses him in the most astounding ways. It's almost like God delights in accomplishing his purposes through weak and broken people. I'll say that again. It seems like God seems to delight in accomplishing his purposes through weak and broken people. Listen to what Paul says to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter, 26, chapter 1 from verse 26 to 29. Paul says, brothers and sisters... Consider your calling. Consider how you, how you were called. Not many were wise from a human perspective. Not many powerful. Not many of noble birth. 
Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing, to bring to nothing what is viewed as something, so that no one may boast in his presence. There's the reason in verse 29, so that no one may boast in his presence. God has called us, and, and many of us in this church, many of you listening, maybe we make that list where uh, maybe that would you save yourself. Not of noble birth, not powerful, not wise. Some, some maybe, maybe you're of noble birth, you know, wise, power, born into a powerful family, a position of privilege in our society and the culture. But all of those things, God looks past and he looks over. And he delights in using the weak and the marginalized. For what purpose? So that no one may boast in his presence. So that it becomes abundantly clear that Jesus is the one who gets the glory for what he gets done. It's not, we're not looking at the people and thinking, oh, well, this is obviously why this worked. Because look at these characteristics. Look at the education of this one, the intelligence, the wealth and the connections. Look at the beauty of that one. No, there's nothing of, a, of human origin that God has chosen to use and work through. It's, he's moved those things to the side so that Jesus gets the glory for whatever he gets done. So in another sense, I called this point an unlikely choice. In another sense, it's not an unlikely choice. Uh, when Jesus comes, we should be fully expectant that if he was going to call a team to himself, that he would go looking for uneducated fishermen. He would go looking for despised tax collectors. He would go looking for hotheads and people on the fringes of society. It shouldn't surprise us that these are the kind of people that Jesus calls to himself and that he equips and he teaches and he uses to change the world. We should ex fully expect that God would use the lowly uh, to accomplish his purposes. And I want to say this as we close out this point that it's important for us to remember that this is not God's plan B. This is not uh, Jesus approached a whole bunch of other people and they turned him down. And so he got stuck with you know, Peter and Andrew, James and John, like the B team. Uh, this is the A team. This is God's perfect plan. This is exactly what he wanted. Both the people that he chose and the method that he used to transform the world are God's ideal. Uh, and I say both of the people that he's chosen and the method he's used because these are important. God delights in using the weak and the marginalized and the broken and the humble uh, to accomplish his purposes. But he also chose 12 men to turn the world upside down. He didn't worry about masses and multitudes and crowd upon crowd upon crowd. He poured his life and his teaching and his love and his energy into select men and trusted that those men in turn would turn the world upside down. And you're listening to this. And if you're a believer in Jesus, you're listening to this today in part because of what God did through these 12 men. It worked. God's plan worked and it's still working. God does things differently to the way we would do things. His unlikely choice of people is probably maybe more his likely choice. God uses the weak and the broken and the marginalized. The second thing we see in this passage is that there's an immediate response. There's an immediate response. I love the way Mark 
uses this word immediately a few times in his gospel. He says, immediately they left their nets. And immediately when Jesus called them, they left the boat. Immediately. We know that in the other gospels, there are variations of the accounts of the calling of um, Simon, Andrew, James, and John. Uh, and there are variations in this. But even when you read those accounts, you still end up at the same place that the, these men decided very quickly to follow Jesus, to respond um, to his call to follow them. And think with me what it would have cost these men. This, this, is, a, this is a costly uh, act of obedience that you are seeing here amongst these men. Uh, Andrew and Peter were not sure of their whole, Simon Peter, of their family situation, but James and John, they're the sons of Zebedee. It sort of sounds like there's a fishing business there. There's some hired help there, hired help. This is a successful enterprise kind of thing. Uh, back then, you know, like it is in some places now, the sons just take over the father's business. These sons walk away from the family business. In some parts of the world, when you do that, you walk away, not from the family business, you walk away from the family. Uh, it's a big deal. In them agreeing to follow Jesus, they are risking financial stability. They're walking away from guaranteed income and, 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 and a business that they had off they go to follow, follow Jesus. They are risking um, their reputation uh, in the society there. They're saying yes to follow some crazy wandering nobody. No one, no one really knows who Jesus is yet. He's just this guy who rocks up on the shore, you know, a calls them to follow him. And, and there's something in Jesus, we'll talk about that later, that they respond to and they follow him. I'm sure there were some people looking around and just looking a bit left and right thinking, these oaks are crazy. They are mad. Friends, nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. If you want to follow Jesus there will always be somebody looking left or right, looking at you thinking, you are mad. You are crazy. What on earth are you doing giving up all of those things to follow this man? And yet here you see them making this immediate decision at great cost to themselves and maybe at great cost to others, risking it all because there was something about him. Let's think about ourselves for a bit and ask ourselves the question, what, what is keeping us from immediate obedience and wholehearted following of Jesus? What's keeping us from immediate obedience and wholehearted following of Jesus? I think some of the things are the same that the disciples may have very quickly wrestled through. We're, we're fearful. We have to just acknowledge that we are afraid. I meet many people and I see it in my own heart. I'm worried about what people will think of me. If you live too radically for Jesus, if you follow him too extravagantly, you're seen as a radical, even the way I'm using that term. Uh, you're just a bit weird. You're otherworldly. Your life doesn't make any sense. We worry about what people are going to think about us, so let's just tone it down and let's follow Jesus, but let's not do anything extreme and radical. Let's just uh, let's aim for God and variety kind of Christian Christianity and followership. Let's not, let's not get in over our heads. Let's not get too excited about it. What will people think? We're afraid of people's opinions. We're afraid of what we have to give up if, if we follow Jesus in obedience and if we do it with a wholehearted commitment. We are worried that God may call us to leave some of our securities and some of our comforts and some of our loves and that it may cost us. 
And so we sometimes may hear that call or sense God leading us in a direction, but we don't want to go there because we all we look around at um, all our eyes are, are focused on is what we can see around us. We think, I don't want to walk away from this into the unknown in following you, Jesus. And so I'm just going to hang out here and trust that you'll love me here. We worry about what we'll have to give up, what we'll miss out on. If we say yes to this, we're going to have to say no to a whole bunch of those things. And man, look at that lifestyle. Look at the lives that my friends live. Look at the, look at the things that they can get up to. Uh, I'm not going to be able to do that if I do this. Oh, but oh, I feel like I'm going to miss out. I'm not going to be able to have the same stories and the same pictures and whatever else. And I'm just going to be doing this. Or I, won't, I won't be able to exercise all of my freedoms and do these things. We, we worry about what we're going to miss out on. There's many other things that I think trip us up. One of them that comes clearly to my mind and to my heart is that we just love other things. We just love other things more than we love Jesus. And so we're disinclined to follow him in wholehearted obedience. There's a sobering line in the last letter that Paul writes. It's in 2 Timothy, uh, right at the, the sort of end of his ministry. Uh, throughout his ministry, uh, in other letters in Philemon, I can't remember the other one, he mentions a guy called Demas. And he mentions greetings from Demas. There's a couple of times where Demas is mentioned as a ministry partner. And it's like, hey, Demas says, how's it? That's how he would do it in these letters. And at the end of 2 Timothy in chapter 4, verse 10, he speaks about Demas having deserted him and left and gone back to another place. And it says this, Demas loved the world. It says, he has deserted me because he loved the world. And as you read what Paul writes, there's almost a sadness in the tone and in his voice that here was Demas, a ministry partner with me, but he's launched me. Now when I need him, this is why he's launched me, because he's loved the world. And I think uh, that would be a verdict that would be true of many of those who claim to follow Christ. There's such a deep love for the things of the world that derail wholehearted obedience um, to Jesus. And my prayer for us as a church is that God would help us in this. That we, by his grace, we would be a people who love Jesus more than we love the world. And it would never ever be said about us that we've deserted the path of true following of Jesus because we love the world and the things of the world. And our hearts swung to those things. Our minds got distracted. Our eyes diverted. And we got lured away by those things. And we were willing to settle. We were willing to settle for lesser things because we loved the world and we missed out on the adventure of wholehearted obedience uh, to Jesus. The last thing we see in this passage is there is this incredible invitation. There is an incredible invitation. What does Jesus say to them? He says, follow me. Follow me. I, I, I love this. This is personal. This is Jesus looking at them and saying, I want you to follow, I want you to follow me. Um, we, we have to acknowledge that um, a relationship with Jesus is a deeply personal thing. Um, it's not like uh, Jesus has just put out like a, a broadcast WhatsApp list there. Like if you want to subscribe to my newsletter, you know, just click on the button kind of thing and follow along. You're just a number um, kind of vibe. Jesus deals with us individually. He speaks and he called uh, Doug Fell. You know, when I was 17, I felt him calling me individually. I didn't feel like it was a group decision. I didn't feel like I was joining a club necessarily. I felt like I had entered into a personal relationship with Jesus that I've continued to walk in for the years since, since then. It's personal. Jesus doesn't call us 
to follow some path that tons and tons of people on or just a, uh, adhere to a bunch of teachings or philosophy or, or some kind of ideology or worldview, he calls us to himself. He calls us to follow and love a person. And it's, and it's himself. It's deeply, deeply personal. And he looks at these, at these men who are going to become disciples and he calls them, follow me. And we see in the rest of the Gospels, this is what this looks like to, looks like to follow him. He just pours his life into them. Day in and day out, they're together. He's teaching them. He's showing them things. They're just doing life together. Three years or so of pouring his life into them, empowering them, giving them a vision for what he wanted to see happen, and then leaving them and empowering them with the Spirit. And like I said, they just turned the world on its head. Follow me. Follow me. I wonder if those words rang in their ears later on in life when following Jesus caused the death of many of those who he called to follow him. Was it really worth it? Follow me, follow me, follow me. It's like, I could just swerve off and save my life, get out of this. It's getting pretty intense now, keeping going, following Jesus. It'd be a few off-ramps here where it'd be much easier even to save my life. And if it's those words rang in the ears, follow me all the way that I'm leading you. Follow me. And I will make you what? He says, I'll make you fishers, of men, I'll, I'll make you fish for people. You're going to catch men. I, I love how he uses that uh, imagery. There they are, you know, fishing. Uh, Mark describes, you know, they're tossing nets into the water because they're actually fishermen. They're not just doing something random like pranks and stuff. And, and he uses imagery that they understand. Okay, they're fishing for fish. But he says, hey, I'm going to make you fish for people. Like you've been catching fish or not catching fish. Uh, you're going to catch people. You, when you join me, when you come and follow me, I'm going to use you. And you're going to be the ones catching people. It's amazing. I'm sure they didn't quite get their heads around that. But just think with me for a second how astonishing this is. Back then, things were quite localized. They didn't travel the world like we do now or how we used to. We will again one day. Uh, but the Sea of Galilee is not a massive sea. That lake is it's, it's okay. It's fairly impressive, but it's not a massive thing. Galilee is a bit of a backwater kind of vibe. A lot of these men who grew up there, you know, you just grow up in your father's fishing business, fish, be a good human, husband, father, whatever, and then just die. You never really leave that area for long periods of time. That would be their thing. And here comes Jesus to them and says, follow me and I'm going to make you fishers of men. And just think, these men, Peter, Simon Peter, who's sta standing there tossing his net, he had no idea what God had in store for him. No idea that he would use him as a catalyst to launch God's church into the world, to preach with such authority and boldness and see the gospel run from his ministry out of Jerusalem, all over the place. The, the, the astonishing effect that they would have, these humble fishermen sitting on a boat in the middle of Galilee, in the middle of nowhere, God would raise up and use and fill with his spirit to turn the world on its head and that today you and I would be uh, sitting and looking at their lives and they're sharing their stories and marveling at their obedience uh, and their courage and how God used them. Men from this little backwater in Galilee who God chose and called to himself. Jesus called to himself and discipled and filled with the spirit and set loose in the world. And it's amazing this how God did and Jesus did. And God is still doing this. Jesus is still calling us to participate in his mission. This 
totally does my head in. That God could bypass us as humans. God could get his um, work done in the world. He doesn't, he's not so needy that he needs to use people, but he's chosen to use the means of people. Uh, late last year, I loved to read biographies. Um, and I was reading another biography. There's been quite a few written about Hudson Taylor, who if you haven't read any biographies of Hudson Taylor, I would commend them to you. Um, he was uh, one of the um, most influential, maybe the most influential missionary to China. And it, his story is amazing of all the hardships that he had to go through as God refined his character and got him ready and just how rough and tough it was um, in China. Uh, what, what they were doing then, you know, then years later, all the missionaries got kicked out. And that's when the church exploded. And now the church is unstoppable in China. And some of it is off the back of the sacrifices of a guy like Hudson Taylor. God loved the people, the Chinese people, all of those people groups there. And he wanted to call them to himself. So what does he do? He doesn't drop leaflets from heaven. He raises up a man, Hudson Taylor, and others to go with him because God works through us to bring in the people into the church, into the family of God. God uses us. He works through people in the power of the Spirit to accomplish his purposes. So how, how is he doing that through you? What, what is he doing? Don't you want to be a part of, a part of that? It's, it's astounding to me that God would use uh, me, and he would use you. There's nothing impressive or marvelous about us in, in any way. If anything, only things that we bring to the table serve to further disqualify us. And yet God, in his sovereign mercy, chooses to work through us, empower us by the Spirit, and call us and allow us to be the fishers of men. People will become Christians. They become part of the church. They will forever be united to God in relationship. And we will be part of God's plan of seeing the kingdom of God established and extended in the world through what we do, through our prayers, through our speaking, through our praying, through our serving. God is working through us. This is an incredible, incredible invitation. And I pray that today it's one that we grab hold of again with both hands and say, yes, Father, use me. Jesus, use me. Fill me again with the Spirit. Open up avenues to use me in your kingdom work in the world. As we land this, I want us to um, consider a couple of things that come out of what I've been sharing here. I want to ask you how qualified you feel uh, to follow Jesus. Uh, many people that I speak to um, feel disqualified in some way. You just you feel either um, you don't measure up to the world's standards in that, you know, that whole list I mentioned earlier, intelligence, education, whatever else. But maybe there's other layers there. Uh, you've made a commitment uh, to Christ. You've become a Christian, and yet you feel like you, you don't really, um, you don't have the discipline. Uh, you don't read your Bible enough. You don't pray enough. You still struggle over so many repetitive sins. Your heart grows hot and cold, hot and cold, so frequently, you wonder, can God use you? Are you fit to be on the team? W would God ever take your life and, and, and work on it and through it to accomplish his purposes? And I think this passage reminds us again today that absolutely, because it's about him, it's not about you. It's about him, it's not about you. Uh, and the scriptures bear testimony to what God can do when he puts his spirit into the heart of human 
into the life of a human and he accomplishes his purposes and God's spirit can transform and use anyone. I want to encourage you with that this morning. You may not feel like you measure up, but you're probably a prime candidate for God to use if you don't think you belong on the team. Let me ask you if, if there are things that are holding you back this morning from wholehearted obedience and wholehearted following of Jesus. What are the things? We all have some things. We all have some things that we sort of want to bring with us. If Jesus called us, there would be the nets that we want to bring with. And it's, it's a wonderful picture of how useless a fishing net is when you're following Jesus on the land. They leave the nets, they leave the boats, and they just follow him as they were. Off they go. And some of us, we have that kind of a picture. It almost feels like we're dragging our nets with us. It's like, cool, Jesus, we'll come and follow you. We're just bringing the nets. We just have a backup plan uh, just in case this goes pear-shaped and you don't provide and it doesn't really work out. We've got this backstop here. And I want to encourage you and provoke you this morning that there's no dragging your nets when Jesus calls you to follow him. There's no keeping the boat docked there. That's gone. He calls us from that to this and it's wholehearted following. You have nothing to fear in following him. He's able to always provide for more than we need. And our fears and concerns, I think that's the wonder and the, the mercy of God. We're able to bring those to him in honesty and truth. Lay our hearts before God. I'm concerned about these things. I'm worried about if I say an, 100% yes to you, I'm going to lose this. I'm not going to have this. These things, bring those. Be honest enough to lay those before the Lord and then leave them there. Step over them and go and follow him. Sometimes it's our sinful desires that keep us from following him in wholehearted obedience. My prayer this morning is that the Holy Spirit would show you these things. Would, as you spend time with him, would reveal these things in our hearts and in our lives that keep us from wholehearted following of Jesus and give us grace to turn from those things and run towards him again. Because the most compelling aspect of this encounter is the worth of Jesus, is the worth of following Jesus. They are following him. Yeah, he promises that they will be fishers of men. But again, like I think that probably went past them a little bit. He just says, follow me. There's something about the person of Jesus that when he calls you to follow him, there's something about him that's worth responding to that. He's the king of heaven. He's the glorious one. And even when he's on the earth, there was something so magnetic about him that these men just willing to leave everything uh, to follow him. And again, this morning, uh, for those of us, who would call ourselves Christians, disciples, followers, I want to encourage you again to, to get quiet, get alone, get to a place where you can fix your eyes and your hearts on him again and marvel at the wonder and the worth of Jesus and say, say your yes again to him. And if you're not, if you're not yet, if you wouldn't yet consider yourself a, a follower of Jesus, that, that you do everything that you can to figure out why am I not? What's holding me back from 100% following of Jesus? What are the things in my life that are, I still want to resolve and settle and whatever else. What are the obstacles to me saying, saying yes to this life? Yes to following him. You bring those things to God. You talk to um, people around you about those things. Be honest about them. But I want to say to your friends that Jesus is worth it. A million times over following him wholeheartedly. And my prayer is that for us as a church, as we commit and we give God our yes again today, we would see him do the most astounding, astonishing things in us and through us by his Holy Spirit for his glory. He'd move us all to the side, move us all backstage, and he would be the one who gets all the glory and we would get all the joy as we see him fish for men through us. Let me pray for us this morning as we end.
Jesus, thank you that you are, you are worth um, our yes again this morning. There, there's so much about you that's worth uh, us just saying no to everything else in our lives and leaving it, leaving our fears of what people may think about us, leaving our fears of provision and safety and security and comfort and just saying yes to whatever you're calling us to, following you, stepping out in obedience, wholehearted following. And I pray that you would give us a fresh grace again this morning as your people to recommit our lives to you in radical obedience to follow you. I pray even this morning, Father, that you would be speaking to people now by the Holy Spirit. You'd be giving them a fresh burden for ministry opportunities, ministry responsibilities, calling them to new places. There's nations of the world that remain uh, with unreached people in them. And they're not going to be reached unless your people go. And I pray you'd be placing your hand on people, even in our congregation, and calling them to these wonderful tasks of saying no to everything else and their yes to you. And you'd make it clear what it is you're calling them to. But make yourself worthy in our eyes again you are worthy but help us to see it and sense the glory and the majesty and the worth that you are jesus and give us a great confidence that's not about us it's not about how excellent we are it's about how astounding you are and how powerful your spirit is able to work within us to transform us and through us to draw people to yourself we're in your hands and we pray that you would use us for our joy and for your glory for the wonderful name of Jesus, we ask it. Amen.